Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comedy Bureau Field Report. The Comedy Bureau Field Report is a member of the Believe podcast family. That is why on your favorite podcast platform it reads, Believe in the Comedy Bureau Field Report. Um, you know, I maybe one day I'll have a much more fun way to intro the podcast instead of explaining why it's a weird name and that I didn't choose that. And uh, that would mean I'm on a different network because it would probably allow me to do that, or at least I would check before I launched, which I did not for this one, but we're 138 episodes in, so that's how it is. Um, and that'll be my comment on the name of the podcast for this week, but on to an amazing guest um, who recently got to shine bright because of a viral crowd work moment and then getting to have their late night TV debut on Jimmy Kimmel Live. Please give it up for Ariel Elias, everybody. Hey, thanks for no having me. No problem. Absolutely. I, I, it, it is a delight to get to see you, especially in those forms. Of, for, for years, I've heard great things about you, specifically from Sean Patton and Carly Hugendike. Oh, two, two wonderful people who I love very much. Yeah, nice. yeah, they they sing your praises it, well before you had to chug a beer on stage. Yeah, well, and and Sean seemed like Sean's known me for a long time because mm -hmm. we I started stand up in New Orleans, which of course right. is where he started, and he would come back, mm -hmm. and I think has maybe one of the better perspectives on, you know, he truly saw me when I was a year into stand up, <laughs> um, so I'm glad he. I don't know. It's just nice to not be a year into stand up anymore. <laughs> right. Right. It is some some people like to wax poetic about that. I don't miss it at all. No, there's no we don't need to romanticize like extreme poverty and being bad at something that you love. Right. And then feeling obligated that you have to continue to be bad. Yeah, it was one of those things every time I got on stage, just thinking like, I'm sorry, guys, I know I'm not good at this yet either. Right. Um, but thanks for being part of the process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's like, I mean, that's the, that's the weird thing that anytime somebody gets mentioned as an overnight success, almost kind of like your journey over the last couple of months, it's like you've been doing stand for how many years? 11. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, overnight equals 11 years. Right, of just grinding it out and eating a lot of shit and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, performing in bowling alleys when people don't care. And um, right. yeah, nobody's, overnight successes don't exist. And the ones mm -hmm. that do fizzle out after two weeks. Right. Yeah, if, they, if they're truly, um, if they hadn't really honed any chops beforehand right yeah um so the, it, we're at an interesting point for those who uh don't know uh which would be weird because it made headlines um ariel had to uh deal with a heckler uh who the husband of the heckler threw a beer at you on stage yeah and then you you chugged it yeah. Uh, in a, a, a wonderful, graceful way of handling a heckler, which, 
You know, I'm I I'm very appreciative of because I feel like a lot of people sort of um when the idea of dealing with a heckler comes up and what they want is to see like somebody like smell blood in the water and just like go in on a heckler, which is a way of doing it, but then it makes the rest of the set very awkward. Yeah, it really just depends because I've definitely had hecklers where I went in on them a little bit and then the yeah. crowd quickly turned against me. Like, <laughs> oh no. Well, they're just like, oh, that was too mean. Right. Or or you just have, it's hard for us sometimes because we do have adrenaline all the time. Oh yeah. To sort of control that and not, not let our, I, my husband used to say this thing about how like, we're very good as comedians at like mm-hmm. looking at somebody knowing their deepest insecurity immediately oh, yeah. and being able to just point that out yes. so it's it, you have to like harness that and sometimes pull it back a little rein it back right um it, i mean i i'm is it a case-by-case situation or do you know kind of where your personal line with that is i think you just learn as you do it and as you mess up right like mm-hmm. you figure out how to control that a little bit better mm-hmm. um And you kind of figure out like, what's the actual goal here? Because I think sometimes your goal is like, yeah, fuck you. Like, I'm going (laughs) to ruin your night. Right. Um, But usually the goal should be like, how do I make this situation better for everybody? Right. I I am in the school of thought that de-escalation is always better than escalation. And then if you risk escalating the situation, if you really want to rip a heckler a new one. Yes, I think that's... um, I think that's a very good way of putting it. <laughs> we're like um, we're like trying to be like what cops should be of like we should de-escalate the situation, but half the time we're like what cops are actually trained to do, which is like just fucking go for the kill shot. <laughs> yes. And like, I mean, sorry you to know, get political. <laughs> yeah, no, but please, by all means. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I, I'm sure all the votes are in in New York. We're still waiting on uh, midterm results here in L.A., but I think Kara Bass is going to be mayor. Not that that's personally going to affect you. <laughs> well, she's the one who's, like, not the Grove person, right? Yeah, she's not the Grove person, which is b- better. <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah. I've heard. Yeah, Rick Caruso is Mr. Grove. And uh, also, it was funny, the day before the midterms, Ted Sarandos, the CEO of Netflix, endorsed Rick Caruso publicly. And I felt like, well, that's, I think that detracts from the campaign. Like, I don't want Ted's recommendation on anything. (laughs) Yeah, based on Netflix, the recommendations are not great. Not great. And, but yet you've made a thing that we've all feel like kind of a slave to because it's so massive. Yeah, and you've made it worse. (laughs) <laughs> you definitely made it worse um anyhow so you that happened it went viral online um you tweeted at, at jimmy kimmel uh shared it and then you tweeted at him to have your late night debut and then you did it was wonderful Thanks. great job on that um and so so how was that how was that journey for you sort of like emotionally uh spiritually if that's the thing you're into <laughs> and what, what do you think do you think it's like brought you to a like a, a point that maybe you were waiting to a few more years to get to or like where are you at now 
That's a good question. I I think for a lot of comedians, having a late night set under your belt is like a real sort of, even if it's like not as quote unquote significant as it used to be, right? Like it's not exactly life-changing, but it feels right. very validating and it feels in this very old school way of like, okay, now I'm a professional comedian, right? right. Like, even right. if I've been making my living at this for a few years, this is like a real, you know, this has been on my goals list for, for several years. Right. So it's also something that like, I've felt ready for, for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I've felt, it just felt good. Like it didn't feel it didn't feel life-changing, but it just felt, it just, I think validating is like the best way. It was also super fun, right? right? Like, like doing stand-up on TV is really cool. It was really fun. It's something I've dreamed about for a long time. Right. And everything leading up to that, like the last month right. was just pure adrenaline fueled and right. a bit stressful, but to have these little moments of like, no, this is like cool and fun. Yeah. was uh, was really nice in there. Wow. That's great. And it should be validating. Yeah, we are far removed from the days of uh, Freddie Prinze going on The Tonight Show. Right. And, and Johnny Carson changing that kid's life uh, forever. Um, no, we're show. now in the days of like, people will go on late night mm-hmm. and, you know, 40,000 people or whatever will watch it. And then they'll clip it up and put it on Instagram and more people will watch it from that. Right, right. Absolutely. Um, I will say that uh jimmy kimmel doesn't really allow it doesn't have a lot of stand-up so yeah. th- that should be a special sort of pat in the back for you like yeah that's yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah yeah he almost never does it anymore um and uh i mean with that i wonder you know there's a i feel like every show is different and you know every segment producer that's in charge of booking late night uh operates differently but did you have to like do this set like 70 times in the course of a month or something no it was which is both a good and bad thing right I because it happens so fast it's not like I had run the set a million times so it's not as if I could just go on autopilot and do it right um but the process was their booker got in touch with me after I tweeted at him Mm -hmm. uh and then I sent a set they said this is probably 10 seconds too long so mm-hmm. i cut one thing i sent right. it back and they said great right and that was it wow that's amazing and then i had you know i had from the time that they said great this is it to mm-hmm. the time that i was there and filming it there was maybe a full week and that right. was it and <laughs> a few of those days i had I couldn't do any sets because I had to, I went to Louisville to uh, perform a wedding for my childhood best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so that took out a few days of, you know, I, I, that was on my calendar for a long time. And I mm-hmm. remember thinking like, ah, the week before or the couple of weeks before I'll have nothing to do. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll keep my schedule real light so I can just kind of work on this speech and, right. and make sure their wedding is set. And then <laughs> and then my life exploded right 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 um do you like can having sort of probably knowledge of other people and how they've done their late night sets did you like that there wasn't a prolonged period of like building up anxiety and having like you're saying to 
like we're saying doing it 70 80 times yeah totally there's one thing that was really nice that I think is different from other late night experiences is they weren't nitpicking about every single word or or mm-hmm. change this or change that or do it this way they really just like trusted that you know I'm a comedian who who's been doing this for a long time I've tried these jokes many different ways I've right. found which ones work the best way right. there's also that thing of like when you run these jokes over and over and over again because mm-hmm. we're like creative people we get tired of saying it the exact same way we change, we tag things up. So it was nice, you know, like there wasn't, there wasn't enough time for my jokes to evolve from the time I submitted it to the time I performed. Right. So I, that was like a nice one thing that I didn't have to worry about. Right. And I think that shows, I think that there's like sort of diminishing returns and that like, I mean, always the goal is sort of trying to capture lightning in a bottle, Mm -hmm. you know? And uh, the longer and more times you do it, it feels like the magic sort of like dissipates or fades. Um, yeah, well, and and you evolve as a person and this those jokes that you were telling six months ago are no longer the jokes you want to tell right now. And... Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, sometimes the audience maybe couldn't, exactly articulate what's off but they're like yeah there's something like that doesn't ring quite true yeah they can read your lack of enthusiasm <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely it's um, like you'll have those jokes that used to work and for whatever reason they just stop working right and the or, answer is like you have to take a break from it yep i i always clock people who i know like they're telling a joke from another relationship and they're clear, <laughs> they've clearly like broken up and like I'm like oh you there's a reason this doesn't work anymore really it's like funny. a very well written joke and you you know deliver it with the same timing but yeah it's not landing because that person's out of your life right so when you're telling the joke you're disconnected from it yeah yeah audiences are smart not all yeah. I mean not every audience like <laughs> but I, but I would say whole, that audiences smart. are intuitive yeah yeah there are a lot of audiences that are real dumb um but they they still like i mean so much of what's amazing and thrilling about live comedy and comedy in general i mean you're not really in charge of your reaction to it you just Mm -hmm. absorb consume and then you either find it funny or you don't and your reaction comes as thus you know right yeah yeah there's so many factors these little like is it too bright to feel comfortable laughing mm-hmm. out loud? Right. Like laughing is a very vulnerable act. Right. Right. It it's always strange to me. I'm a big laugher if you like get me to laugh. And then people will like talk to me about my laugh. They're like, oh, you have such a great laugh. Hmm. As a way, and some people are like, oh, like I'll because I've watched comedy so much. I'll often like laugh before people because I will hear a premise like, oh, I know where this is going. Yeah. And I've already like done the comedy math in my head. I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. Mm-hmm. And er- everyone else is like, just, and they're, they'll look at me like, why is that guy cackling? Because you know something they don't yet. I know something that they don't. But uh, it the idea that people would be sort of like surprised by that is just funny to me. Like you're at a comedy show there to laugh. Why would it be weird that somebody's mm-hmm. laughing? Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. because because people it it's interesting right like there is this it's like there's this designated place to have an involuntary reaction yeah and we all sort of agree we like we have this little social contract that will right. go there and do this yeah i will add, add a caveat to this last week i went to a show it was just a stand-up showcase and uh, a guy came out on stage with his fly down and he clearly did not know that oh, and he was he performed so nightmare. confidently but we were all laughing way before he got to any sort of punchline <laughs> he I just... did a... <laughs> yeah i did a podcast mm-hmm. a few weeks ago and uh sat there for you know an hour doing it and then i got up and went to the bathroom and realized my fly was down the whole time and I, I had to text, you know, I was like, was this, was my flight on the whole time that this podcast was happening? And then their, their editor had to like, you know, crop the video of me. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. I mean, it would have been funny if they pixelated. <laughs> it's also this reminder of like you can be as clever as you want and like work on these jokes as often as possible there's mm-hmm. still nothing funnier than like a fart or a wardrobe malfunction mm-hmm. like right those will always just be the funniest right i mean to this day i still remember this so clear like it's being a late night sets david bory he he did conan for the first time and like he overstepped the mark that they did in rehearsal and he like looked up at the camera and then he went oh it's ruined (laughs) 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 and that was so funny oh what a human moment yeah what a great great human moment that was like i mean he crushed he was gonna crush anyway but like Mm -hmm. it was the perfect intro to david it's ruined (laughs) yeah yeah i love it that's so fun yeah no people love the i mean i think that's kind of what's special about this story is there is a human element to it it's not just you doing like a well-honed five minutes um which like in my experience i've seen like people who just like they're very funny they work on a set they send it to a booker, they go back and forth for a month or two, and then they set a date, and then they, like, get and tape it. Right. Um, largely, those sets kind of just, like, get, you know, lost in the in the, in the the big rush of content that we're faced with every day. Um, if they're usually about one topic, that might help. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's a story behind it, that'll help. Um or if something weird happens, like Cameron Esposito's first late night set. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think everybody does, especially for the fact that Jay Leno said that men are done. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot. Yeah. Which is like That's so funny. Yeah. It was really, really funny. Also, just the, sort of it felt like Cameron obviously worked on her jokes for a long time. And then she. I, I heard this in a story she told later that like she was really worried about it and like she was clearly like running into the jokes in her head then Jay saw her like um like re- like running the jokes and he's like you're here you got this mm-hmm. and and then they just interrupt her set 
Uh, yeah, I mean, look, like it's a live performance, so anything yeah. can happen, right? Yeah. Like, which is which is horrifying, but it's also right. what makes it so cool, right? Um, we're not just gonna, you know, they they told me they were like, you know, we can if you if you mess up or whatever, like we can tape it again, like we can do another take, but just be aware, like. And I was like, no, 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 that's don't tell me that's an option. That's not an option. <laughs> like we're not doing that. No. no, no. Um, so, so yeah. Po- post Kimmel, um, if that is such a milestone in your life that, that you can define like an error of your life, but that like, <laughs> yes, there's, how yes. how's it going? It's going well. Um, Everything leading up to that moment was Mm. incredibly stressful. And I can only um, imagine. And everything was sort of singularly focused. Mm -hmm. Now it feels a little bit like getting back to normal, but Mm -hmm. my normal now has changed. Right. Right. There's, there's a little, I used to, I truly would take any gig. Mm-hmm. um pre Kimmel yeah and that's uh, how you got the gig the, the yes yeah. and that's how I ended up in South Jersey um <laughs> where I met with somebody um one of the manage managers that I met with in this mm-hmm. time was like you shouldn't have even been there in the first place and I was like uh well I don't know about that <laughs> <laughs> no that was where I should be but right um, I mean that's who was gonna pay me so that's why I was there right. yeah it's not it's not crazy that I was there um but but now it's it's a lot more it's I'm doing a lot more spots which feels great like that's what that's what I've always wanted right is to is to be able to like a lot of people when they when they talk about stand-up in New York will Mm -hmm. talk about how great it is because you can do three sets in a night or four sets in a night and it's like that's true if you're at a certain level yeah, like Bef- 30 people get to do that. Right. Before <laughs> that, you're you're you can do three mics in a night if you yeah. want to, but to do three spots, it's you have to have a certain career already. Right. Um so what's been nice is I am now at a point where I am able to do that a bit more often, which is like mm-hmm. like in my in my heart of hearts like I'm a stand up, right? Like that's right. what I love. That's what right. that's what fuels me and that's what gets me um through my depression (laughs) (laughs) yes yes absolutely so doing three sets a night now like what is that are you you getting spots at the cellar new york comedy club or are you like switching between manhattan and brooklyn getting a bunch of spots at indie shows over there uh it's a big old mix okay it's um it's it's all of it which is is really nice there was when I first moved here for a while it was like all Brooklyn shows Mm -hmm. and then for a while it was it then I became somehow there was like that switch into doing a lot more clubs and it felt like mostly that Um, but now you know tonight I have a spot on the Upper East Side and then a spot in Williamsburg so it feels that feels that feels right wow (laughs) <laughs> for i guess new yorkers listening what trains are you gonna take <laughs> great question so i yeah. live in queens so yeah. we're gonna do we're doing three boroughs tonight <laughs> Ooh, woo, that's big so i'll take i'll take the n mm-hmm. to 59th street and then probably yeah. transfer to the four or five uh-huh. depending on if if I if I can take the express, that'd be great. And right. then and then I'll hop on on the four, five, or six, mm-hmm. and then transfer at 14th Street to the L. Right. And then to get home, I'll have to. Nah, eh, it's a pain in the ass. 
getting from Brooklyn to Queens is the worst. I yeah, because there it doesn't seem like there's a straight line. No, there isn't. It's a, it's because you know the the way New York was built. It's everybody's designed to go to Manhattan, right? And this was back when people didn't have to live, Mm -hmm. uh, in like the most outer borough area to like be able to afford things, right? Um, so they're just there used to not be a reason to go from Queens to Brooklyn. It was like why, right? But now there is. Yeah. What what show is the uh, Proceed East Side? What show is the uh, in Williamsburg? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's that's a great mark of your career. Like I'm doing so many shows. I don't know which ones I'm doing. I just they. Yeah. It's in an email and I'll be there at a time. Whenever I talk to my mom, I usually talk to her like once a week, and she'll mm-hmm. be like. I saw you were doing this show on on Facebook. How was it? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> right. um, which yeah, that feels good, right? When when it blurs together, when when um when like look like very lucky that this is my job, but like it mm-hmm. should feel like a job sometimes. Like it's so right. fun and it's so cool, but if mm-hmm. every day feels like this is the greatest thing in the world. It's like, that's not sustainable, right? It's right. like, you can't be in the first three months of a relationship for forever. Right. So I, yeah, good. I think, I think that's putting a lot on it. I, what I love about it is oftentimes when I'm at shows, in shows, on shows, it just feels home. Mm. It feels like home, like a, a home that I've never had. Oh, Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah. And I, just, I don't know like... that it feels like home, but it is very comforting. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, there have been times where even at like Mike's, I'll be like, I would rather be here than anywhere else right now. Because mm. I, I just feel <clears throat> and so tied to the community and the art form and like, I don't want to be so pretentious as to say that like other other people aren't who aren't in comedy don't get it. <laughs> but I just tend to enjoy the company of people in comedy. Yeah, there's a there's an there's an inherent camaraderie. Yeah. And it's so interesting to me that there is an inherent camaraderie, especially with stand up, even though like so much of stand up is a solo act. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, we're all it's like because we're all in this alone, we're right. all in it together in a weird right. way. Yeah. And that's what I've tried to explain to people who start out and they ask me some question that would sort of necessitate this answer is that like, um, yeah, you're going up alone and you have to work on your own material and your own persona and all those sorts of things. But you will feel a sense of camaraderie the more that you go up and the more you see the same sort of people also going up mm-hmm. and like, you know, when you're going, when you're starting out, like people will allow for you to be bad. Like they won't, they're not going to hate you. Yeah. Um, as long as you, you're like showing growth, that like mm-hmm. you're like actually like working on, you like changed stuff. You try different things. Yeah. I remember in new Orleans where I started because the mm-hmm. community was 
you know, there, there, there was definitely like, there's a stand-up scene, but you see the same people at every single show, at every single mic. Right. It's not like New York where you can meet somebody, hit it off and then not see them again for six months. Yeah. Um. So you would watch everybody's development. Mm-hmm. And I remember there were a couple of people where you would, you would see the show mm-hmm. where it, something for them clicked. Right. And they, and then from then, like, it was like, you just watched, I feel like we're all taking these like tiny little steps. And then mm-hmm. every now and then you're like, you see them take like a giant leap and you're right. like, oh, it's so cool. That's so cool to see somebody else do that. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things is the mm-hmm. big, big leap. I love telling, I probably have told this story on the podcast at least four times, but um, <laughs> UCB Franklin used to have an open mic long, long, long ago uh, before they went Uber corporate as they are now. Um, and it was once a month on Fridays and they only had 10 slots and it was a lottery. Um, so that was kind of like nice and short and sweet. And you they pulled all the names at top so you knew whether they were going to go or not. So I, I went and they hadn't put the bucket for where to put your name in yet so i'm just standing out front and then this uh very uh bright-eyed uh girl comes up and um Wait, very what? bright-eyed girl comes oh, up bright-eyed yeah. i think you said brine-eyed and i bright-eyed. oh and i boy. was very excited to learn what that vocabulary word meant sure oh that right. seems uh d- not good <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah they uh you see i guess your eyes would be soupy um whatever that <laughs> yeah. means a bit salty yeah, Brian. A bit salty a uh, world wearied uh this is not who this was <laughs> just constantly um, crying <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah very salty uh they were wearing distressed jeans and uh flip-flops camisole and like unbuttoned button down and they had their notebook in their hands, like they were like excited to do their first day of stand-up or something. I don't know. Um, and they came up to me and they're like, is this where the open mic is? And I'm like, yeah, but well, I mean, you got to put your name in and um, you might not even get picked. But, you know, if you get up, it's pretty good. And she's like, cool, 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 cool. Uh, and then she put her name down and uh, signed up. I don't know. I didn't get picked, so I left. I didn't know whether she got picked or, or not. But um, that was Rachel Bloom. I was gonna try to guess who it was. Yeah. I, I was like, I know it. it's gonna be somebody, somebody big. I was like, and yeah. that was a young Tignataro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh four years after that, I saw her name on the sides of buses and billboards. Yeah, that's cool. And then she's like accepting a critic's choice award for Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. And I'm like, man, love that. Yeah, it's really cool. It's really yeah. neat to see. Yeah. I remember when Hannah Einbinder was like starting with that with her conceptual comedy like at open mics and she dressed like Billie Eilish Mm -hmm. for good reasons that like Billie (laughs) Eilish dresses and uh and I I remember being like you know there's something to this and I hope she keeps it up yeah 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 I there's there's and you kind of have to I guess for some people it's like very innate um and no problem but I think I think you kind of have to make the conscious decision to be happy for those people because yes. otherwise it gets so easy to become embittered because mm-hmm. you will see so many people who you're like, oh, like I remember when they started and then and then they become on the side of a bus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's easy to be like, 
Mm-hmm. that's bullshit like you have to wait your turn <laughs> or whatever there's uh-huh. some there's just like these like hardened we like we know them you know like those right. old comics who um who are mad at youth right um, but but no I think it's so cool because it's also one of those things of like you see all of the different directions people go into and you realize like there are these paths that you never even realized were a possibility right and it's cool to see somebody open that up oh yeah absolutely uh and there will keep being weirder more unthought of paths mm-hmm. um as time goes on and i i feel like the lines between di- disciplines and in comedy get more and more blurred you know sure yeah i mean you know i think it's it's hard to just like especially now and it has been for a while to just make like a entire career off of stand-up alone mm-hmm. i mean unless you're finding different are you like it's just starting to get like book clubs and you're like oh, all right I, I get to headline and i get like a decent weekend yeah i don't know i mean we'll we'll see what happens mm-hmm. i i think i used to have this notion that a writing job would be the most stable, you know, you, you have an office job, you have health insurance, you get to be funny there. Mm -hmm. And now that that market has changed so much Mm -hmm. where seasons are no longer 22 episodes and and they don't run for forever. And, and you have no idea what the numbers are and and all this stuff you realize, well, actually stand up is the thing that will always be there. Right. Right. Like, that's the one thing that I can always turn to mm-hmm. and whether or not I'm making a ton of money at it, that <laughs> remains to be seen. Sure. 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 But it certainly is. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like the right analogy for it, but it's just kind of like, it's like always there. Right. It's so always there that like, I still can't, I believe this was the thing. When the war in Ukraine started, Ukrainian comedians in Ukraine were doing shows on Zoom. Sure. Yeah. We all, <laughs> like in I mean, the midst of war. Of course. Because it's like, well, what else are you going to do? Yeah. And everybody's, you know, if you have an internet connection, everybody's got to do something. Yeah. It's not like, I, like war is mostly boring. Yeah. You know That's I mean? the reality of war is like, there's like, hor- like horrific atrocity and then nothing. Right. It's yeah. like the pandemic. It was like, yeah, there's a ton of sirens in the background, but meanwhile, I'm just like watching Tiger King. Yeah. So what are we going to do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's fucking do some standup. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's always, it's always going to be there, especially just for, it's accessibility. I mean, like, I mean, technically you don't even need a mic. You just need to be in a setup where people are listening to one person talk. But I mean, ideally, mic, mic stand, stage, low ceilings, everyone seated very close in a darkened room next to you. A stool. Yeah, on a raised platform. Mm-hmm. But not too high. Not too high. You don't want to, you don't want to be put on a pedestal. No, a no, metaphorical no, no. You, pedestal. You, yeah, you want to be with the people. Yeah. Yeah. You want to say I'm just slightly better. <laughs> what I have to say is just slightly more important. Right. Right, right. And please none of you talk unless I talk to you. 
Yeah, there's also, I mean, look, a, a high, yeah, and please don't throw anything. Um, a, <laughs> a, a really elevated stage is scary also because you're like, uh, if I fall, um, mm-hmm. it's going to be very painful. That's a very far way down. Right. Um, how about some comedy news, Ariel? Yeah, let's hear it. Let's go. All right. So we'll start off, um, some unfortunate news, uh, Bud Freeman, who founded a club called The Improvisation in Hell's Kitchen, uh, decades and decades ago, but later, uh, got built out into the franchise of comedy clubs known as The Improv, uh, located all across the United States um has passed away uh this week uh he was 90 years old um unfortunately he was not in good health but uh he leaves behind quite a legacy um especially as far as comedy clubs are concerned um which well you know as much as the landscape changes with stand up um and other venues that aren't strictly comedy or comedy clubs allow comedy to happen i mean comedy clubs will always be a thing i hope so yeah i didn't realize i didn't realize that the improv started in new york it did that article yeah it uh yeah it's wild and i mean what's also interesting i think i've noticed noted this on the podcast as well so it was called the improvisation when bud opened it up and uh that was before the art form we now know as improv was like canonized as improv. Oh. And like people were doing it, but they they were, it was like Nichols and May and like um, this bunch out in uh, San Francisco called like the committee. Uh, one of the people uh, ended up starting Groundlings from that. Um, but like they never coined it as like improv and like they never... It, a lot of times it was like sort of sketches that would be kind of curb your enthusiasm-esque in the sense that there were like beats that they were supposed to hit, but they they got to fill in with sort of like ad-lib lines mm-hmm. uh, up until that point. Anyways, so uh, the improvisation got shortened to improv. And I think there was actually a court case where they had to get, they had a challenge because like, the improv never offers improv. They offer right. stand-up only, <laughs> pretty much exclusively. And uh, I think what got ruled was the fact that, like, they basically, like, they were finders keepers. Like, they were there first mm-hmm. before improv was ever a thing, so they get to keep the name. What I'm hearing, what I'm taking from this, is that we should start an improv theater called The Stand-Ups. Yes, I mean, there was a great missed opportunity in that there's a comedy club that opened last year in Los Angeles, the Los Angeles area, and specifically in a town called Bellflower. Um, and they are called the Stand Up Comedy Club. And I w- would so love if they only did improv and yeah. sketch. <laughs> they That'd should. Be... Yeah. Switch. Yeah. <laughs> Just for but the joke. I, I Just heard, do it for I'd, the bit. I'd heard from the booker that the owner... <laughs> it's almost like funny that that was his reason but he's like oh i want people to know exactly what they're gonna get yeah like waffle house <laughs> yeah 
I I mean, that is so wild to me. I mean, maybe it's just because I'm coming from my vantage point, but it's so easy to like look up whatever you're going to go to and what it is. Like with movies, it's a trailer. If you're going to like, if you're perusing a venue, like a music venue's like calendar, you can like, they have direct links to every band's like page or Instagram where you can just hear what it is. Yeah, but I, I like somebody who's just like, we're not going to make you do any work. <laughs> you are just gonna know. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. like, let's let's make this as simple and as easy as possible for everybody. Right. And right. instead of having to come up with some, like, weird name, like the Chuckle Shack or whatever. Yeah. right. Let's not get cutesy. Right. We'll just, we'll just let him know what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the least creative yes, name for yeah. a very creative <laughs> uh, art form. Absolutely. I mean, a, a very simple. They, I, I still vote for. It. They should have just called it the Bellflower, or at least the Bellflower, the Bellflower Comedy Club. The, the Bellflower would have been very cool. Bellflower is a cool name in and of itself. Yeah, and I mean, they have this like classic looking, classical looking like neon sign, like having like a bellflower in a neon would be very cool and very iconic but yeah they chose not to go with that so <laughs> maybe they'll have improv i'll work on it i'll work on it <laughs> pitch it yeah did you ever get um, to play an improv yeah i, I played the dc improv mm-hmm. um a couple of times they're i mean they're they're cool rooms right like it's it's of the of the clubs that are these big chains that are throughout right. the throughout mm-hmm. the country like there is something comforting to know, like you kind of know what you're getting into, right? Sure. There's um, was it, was it an improv? No, I think it was something else. Was it a but Levity it, Live? No, I, I have been there. <laughs> um, well, yeah. For those who don't know, uh, the improvs got bought up by this uh, other group called Levity Live, which I now think it, they're all owned by Irving Azoff, who like owns MSG or something. It's oh, like Madison all Square corporate Garden. holdings yeah. at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At first yeah. I was like, the the Chinese food additive? Um, the umami <laughs> flavor? Yeah. Um, no, but that makes much more sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think it's like, it's like when you stay at like a Hilton, where mm-hmm. you're like, I know where, th- I know, I know what I'm going to get here. This is perfect. Right. right. That's sort of like how the improvs are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah i don't know it's like uh it's i guess it's just a reminder of like time's passage and also like what your legacy is yeah absolutely um next item of news let's go to this all right so grammy nominations came out today um (laughs) yes and per usual as has been the case for probably over 10 years now um it it the nominations for best comedy album seem shall i say suspicious uh this year louis ck and dave chappelle and pat Oswalt all got nominated again and then uh i guess as a way to placate people who are may, maybe like us they uh have randy Rabo, who isn't really a stand-up but more of a online personality uh rounds out the 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 field with the fourth nomination for a comedy album that I wasn't even aware of that he released. 
Yeah. Is Gaffigan in there too? Oh yeah, I think Gaffigan is as well. Um, and the thing is that with the exception of Randy, because I don't know about his quote unquote album, all those other quote with heavy quotation marks albums are specials first that were very secretly released as albums on streaming platforms so they could qualify for the Grammys. That's the way to go. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that is the way to go. Not to mention that, like, uh, I mean, it's very hard to be objective in, uh, like, an art form like comedy that is so incredibly subjective. And then to denote best, I mean, what does that mean? Right. But in trying to be as objective as possible, none of, like, Louis or Dave's or honestly even Patton's like stuff from the last three years have been their best no not at all no. not their best not the best that's out right now no no there's there's so much it's crazy that in this time of like you know you you meant you alluded to it earlier like there's content everywhere right like yeah. we're putting out so much it's like it's still the same guys mm-hmm. Yeah. It's still the exact same dudes that have been there for the last 10 years plus one extra that they throw in. Yeah. It there's always one extra. Yeah, and it feels so unconsidered too. Like, I mean, you know, for those who don't know, I feel like I'm saying a lot that a lot this episode. Um, you have to actually pay to like even be considered to be nominated in the Grammys. If you're on a big enough record label or you're part of a streaming giant, they usually cover the, that cost for you because they want that sort of recognition. Um, so there's like a field, uh, usually a, a, somewhere around like 150, 200 people that are up for possibly being nominated. And then, you know, there's a, a, a select group of the Recording Academy that uh, that's in charge of the Grammys that even like goes through and nominate. And so knowing that the focus of the Grammys is music and not comedy, because there's like 200 categories that have nothing to do with comedy. um, They're not going to listen to all those albums. No, but it, it, it feels like, and I don't mean any shade on, on anybody, but it does Mm -hmm. feel like the nominees, it feels like whoever's in charge of deciding is like not a fan of comedy. No. You know what I mean? It feels like yeah. you ask somebody like, who are your favorite comedians? And they're like, I don't know. Back in my day, it was yeah. like Dave Chappelle and Louis C.K. Right. Where you're like, if you're going to keep nominating these same guys over and over again, give it to Gaffigan. <laughs> like, give, at least give, give it to like the best one. Yeah. Give it to Gaffigan. Or alternatively, like, you know, have a separate category um, I mean, I movie uh, awards for movies sometimes explore this that like they'll get they'll have like a like a like audience award or like you know essentially an award for the most commercially successful movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Versus like all the art house indie stuff that usually dominates the Oscars. Um, well, and so with rare... the Grammys too, you have like best new artist. Yeah. Like, so like do, yeah. Like, yeah, a best cat like a category for people who's like it's their debut al- album. Right. Or outlaw the like if it's a, released as a special it can't be an album. Mhm. Yeah. Cuz I I mean, you know, 
uh i'd be curious who you'd want to shout out from the last year but like for me dylan adler and kellen kelly bachman's like musical review mm -hmm. uh, album about being rape survivors was so amazing yeah it is surprising that for a grammy category there isn't more musical comedy in there yeah yeah um like, because no... again the, the people in charge aren't fancy comedy right but like yeah. there's like some really great musical comedy out there uh um, yeah yeah it's just it's interesting that there's no there's just no like I don't even mean to see say up and coming, but like the next generation, I guess sure. is really like no. I mean, it may be Randy Rainbow. I don't know if he counts as being a representative of the next generation because I don't really know who he is. But right. Um. But there's no like, there's no Sean Patton. There's no Dan Soder. There's no right. Michelle Catherine Wolf. Cohen released a special that would. There's no Cat Cohen. There's no Marsha yeah. Belsky. There's no like comedy now. There's like so much mainstream stuff. There's also so much cool indie weird stuff right. that we all have access to now. So like right. fucking shine a spotlight on that. And right. also like the closer really. Yeah. Uh, even coming from Netflix, Shang Wang's special is better than mm -hmm. the closer. Yeah, a yeah. lot of a lot of them are much better than the closer. <laughs> Oh boy. Speaking of which, uh next news story. Uh so Dave Chappelle uh was hit up by Lorne Michaels again, as I guess from Lorne's high, high, high marble encrusted high seat as a one percenter in charge of SNL, uh thinks that Dave is the person to unify the country. Um, so he had Dave Chappelle host after the, the first episode after the midterm elections uh, for Saturday Night Live. And uh, his monologue got to be a 15-minute stand-up set, um, which has been slammed by the ADL, the Anti-Defamation League, for, uh, nor like, what was their phrasing? Um, sort of popularizing uh anti-semitism or normalizing it um mm -hmm. and it is very unfortunate that if you do watch the set there is a there is an energy that dave carries when he talks about uh some anti-semitic marks that kanye and kyrie irving made um that is oh i'm just asking questions <laughs> i'm just asking questions guys uh -huh. yeah. which is always a red flag <laughs> yeah there's um look i will say there mm. were some lines in that monologue that i thought were very funny absolutely like, they were yeah great great jokes herschel walker for sure yeah i mean look it wasn't i also honestly i thought him reading the little statement first i was like that's funny that was funny that it was like that's how you buy yourself time, Connie. I was like, that's like a funny joke. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's I guess the question though is like, yeah, is this the voice that we really needed to be hearing from right, right. now? Right. And I do understand from Lauren Michael's perspective, it's like, look, a lot of people watch that monologue. Yeah. And if your goal look like we live in this time now where like mm -hmm. views are views, it doesn't matter if you're hate watching it or love right. watching it. Right. Advertisers don't care no so i i do understand but it is uh it's disappointing and it's yeah. like 
Yeah. You know, I thought he let Kyrie Irving off the hook quite a mm-hmm. bit in that monologue. Yeah, he did. Um, there were a couple of of lines where I was like, you're just like making a point that I really don't agree with. And there's no joke to go with it. Yeah. Um, Which reminds me of the closer. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's the sad thing is like at the start of the set, I'm like, oh, Dave wants to tell jokes. Great. Yeah. Tell jokes. That's- you're so good at that. Yeah. 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 And then he was dipping back to this, like this new era of Dave where he just wants to share parables and tell the young kids how things really are and that he has to be right Mm -hmm. I have to be right more than anything ever I've never I there are so many I think people who are like diehard Dave Chappelle fans Mm -hmm. and like I like I do love Dave Dave Chappelle. I right. think I think some of his specials have been incredible. Mm-hmm. I also think a lot of his views on trans people are horrific and unforgivable. Yeah. Um. But there are people who will sit there and be like, Dave Chappelle is like a fucking genius, and he's like he's so funny. And then in the next breath, we'll be like, and I hate these comedians who are just all about clapter. Where it's like, how do you not see that Dave Chappelle is like now kind of like the king of clapter? Yeah, absolutely. And of like I, you're making a point. Shout out to the all the trans comedians making fun of Dave. Yeah. Robin Trent. Robin Trent. Nori Reed. I love Nori opens a lot of her sets by saying, um, I'm in my Dave Chappelle era. Uh no jokes, just vibes. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good yeah i love that so much yeah it's great. yeah because you know what jokes are really hard mm-hmm. they're re- it's really difficult and if you have a perspective and a point it's really hard to make right. that with jokes and that's right. what used to make him so right prolific and amazing and what right. now makes him pretty boring to me right and it's fascinating. I guess we're it's just like a prism that we're looking at because Dave mentions in this monologue, it's it shouldn't be, uh, he says, it shouldn't be this scary to talk. And come, that's such a weird thing to say coming from such a privileged position of like, look, man, people, I mean, yeah, you've been dragged online. Has that affected your bread at all? No. Yeah, you just got nominated for a Grammy. Again. again you know after mm-hmm. you won it unceremoniously last year right what's the what's the actual like what are you actually afraid of yeah when you say it's it's it shouldn't be this scary to talk like i think it should i think you should be afraid to like make sweeping generalizations about an entire group of people right like i think you should be afraid to say that <laughs> right. And, and if you genuinely made it to the age of what is he like 50 something now mm-hmm. and you didn't know the actual definition of feminism and you had to look it up. Like you have to do some soul searching, I I believe. Yeah. Yeah. If you yeah. claim to be such a thinker as you are. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a. um. I don't know, but I did love that line of uh, where he was like talking about Donald Trump stealing those documents. Yeah, that was like, great. I've stolen a lot of things from work. You know what I've never stolen? Work. Yeah. 
and that's that's just like the bittersweetness of like there was there was so much of that monologue that was like good and like i mean they very wisely structured that episode of snl like it was an episode of the Chappelle show um but like it's almost it almost comes down like all right bud if you didn't say these five sentences you would have been good like yeah. purely like like no notes mm-hmm. but you just had to because you you can't accept that uh i mean that other people's viewpoints uh don't jibe with yours yeah yeah it's um and it's not even it's not even this thing of like he can't talk about the jews it's like no of course he can and there were some like very you know that line about like i'm just saying there's a lot of jews in hollywood but that doesn't mean anything right like there are a lot of black people in ferguson missouri that doesn't mean they run it yeah and i was like yeah that's a great that's like funny that's good that's also that's also pointing out the absurdity of Kyrie and Gandhi's like these like beliefs that they're espousing right um so it's not as if like it's not as if my issue with him is oh he's up here talking about these things he shouldn't be talking about right um it's just that I wish he would be a bit more thoughtful right in everything right for somebody who seems to think a lot yeah he seems to be lacking thoughtfulness yeah, I mean, so I, I think was it was it for the closer or the special before that? All the promos had him in like the Rodam position. Just like, <laughs> look how much I'm thinking about these jokes. Um, and I look, I think he probably does think about the jokes. Right. I don't think he thinks about the people behind them. Right. Or the people who are affected by them. Right. Especially for the existence of like black trans people. Right. You know, if you're trying to say, I mean, that's also a greater systemic issue of, you know, trying to compare struggles, which is always everybody loses. Everybody loses. Yeah. We don't suffering Olympics. Very bad. Yeah. There's there's no there's never a podium. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone feels bad. bad. And uh, maybe you have a fleeting moment of like I had it the worst, uh, but you're gonna get to celebrate that alone. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> oh boy. Um. Okay. Last news story on a much more positive note. SF Sketchfest will be back in full force. One of uh the world's biggest comedy festivals by sheer volume of shows quality of shows and the fact that um i mean it spans like almost a, like three weeks um they're coming back january 20th through the fe- february 5th of 2023 and taking over the entire city of san francisco uh they just announced some new additions to their lineup uh including a mighty win 20th anniversary with christopher guest Catherine o'hara eugene levy harry shearer jane lynch john michael higgins and michael hitchcock there's going to be so a cool. tribute to Elliot Gould, a 50th anniversary screening of The Long Goodbye, uh, and a conversation with Elliot Gould. Uh, I Married a Monster from Outer Space live read with Dana Gould, Bobcat Goldthwait, Lorraine Newman, Janet Varney, Baron Vaughn, and more. 
uh, a city of dreams lavried with uh, much of the same people. And then Thomas Lennon and Natalie Morales, uh, Ken Marino and David Wayne will be doing something called middle age dad jam session. Uh, there will be a live episode of Hound Tall with Moshe Kasher, Improv for Humans, Brouhaha, which was a legendary house show in L.A., uh, Would You Rather, and more. Uh, you can buy tickets at fssketchfest.com. I did when I saw um, a tribute to Elliot Gold. I immediately was Googled him to make sure he was still alive. <laughs> yeah. Seeing a tribute to anything is like the equivalent of seeing somebody's name on Twitter trending where you're like, sure. oh no, <laughs> why? Yeah. Man, I wonder with with how Twitter is getting burned down. Will, will we ever get to a point where we see somebody's name trending on a platform and our first thought isn't negative? Like, did they die or do something bad? Mm, no i don't think we'll ever get i don't think you... <laughs> i, I think we need a deep restructuring of the entire internet to get yeah. to that point yeah i don't think mastodon is going to be the answer <laughs> are you on mastodon no it's just I be like on mastodon? i'm not even on tiktok because it's like i gotta do another thing <laughs> yeah man I mean, yeah but in this case at least it would be replacing twitter it wouldn't be an addition to twitter what i mean is it really re- gonna replace twitter I, I feel know. like I I don't know. That's I mean, I did wonder <laughs> so much of um, Twitter's like formatting and infrastructure is sort of baked its way into stand up where it's like a great place to like tweet out a premise mm-hmm. and then see what and sort of have people yell at you. Yeah. Or, you know, you and tell you why you're wrong. Is that has that been your experience with Twitter? What? What? No. Just time to time. (laughs) It's a great, it's a great place to, to tweet out premises and then later go, I guess I could have worded that better. Sure. (laughs) To not have people be mad. Yeah. It is, it is, it is astounding to me. I mean, Twitter used to be a place where like, I very distinctly remember this. Jamie Lee, the very funny Jamie Lee, um, she would like, she had like a big following on Twitter because she had a very good Twitter. And uh, she would like, like, like essentially have a writer's room through a text thread about her tweets. Like she would like run it by friends of hers. Like, do you think this would make her like a good tweet? <laughs> and Twitter has now for years been so unhinged that no one does that. No, I don't think so. Now it's more like I was going to tweet this, but I decided to put it in the group chat instead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seems less harmful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know. I miss I miss 2011 Twitter. Yeah. Oh, with Wit, Witstream and everything. And Just... Fave Star. Remember, Fave Star. Yeah. Where you yeah. could see the all the good tweets. Uh huh. Yeah, I don't know. I it was it was a fun place. I mean, it was still unhinged and crazy, but it right. wasn't. It didn't feel quite as. Uh, I guess it didn't take itself seriously. Right. Then. And now it, it d- does. Yeah, I mean, I I'd actually look forward to people live tweeting stuff. Hmm. Yeah. I very at that time, Paul Tompkins would specifically live tweet Midnight Mass during Christmas. 
And it was always amazing. <laughs> uh, that's great. Yeah, they were just like fun little Twitter bits. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. obviously, there will be a thing that replaces that. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what it is. And I don't know if it can just be a carbon copy. I think something I always appreciated about Twitter is that even though there are videos on it, videos never really seemed to be like the majority of content on there in the way that like Instagram has become that, right? Like Periscope really didn't do anything. Yeah, exactly. And Twitter was very just like, we still like to read here. Right. Um, And I don't know if anything will, I I hope something becomes that. Right. Yeah, we'll see. We'll we'll see. I I even wonder if like people are just going to like write text on IG stories and that'll that'll be a thing. I don't know. Maybe. Interesting. Yeah. Um anyways, I, uh have you have you got to do Sketchfest? Mm-mm, I haven't. Would you like to? Yeah, of course. I love uh, a comedy festival so much. Yeah, what do you what do you love about a comedy festival, Ariel? Uh, Well, like going back to like that idea of camaraderie, right? Like we're all here together. Mm -hmm. It's the closest I've ever ever gotten to like that summer camp feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a a long period where I wasn't doing any festivals because I just couldn't like afford to. Yeah. Um, But I do remember like my first, I don't know, my first five years in stand up, I would go to these festivals and it's like, Mm you would meet these other people who live in these different cities. You would see all of these different comedians from different cities and and how their styles differed based on where they were. And right. it's just, um, it, yeah, it's just summer camp. It's, it's fun. Yeah. Those are the, when, when there is that summer camp feel, those are when festivals are best. Mm-hmm. And when, your festival logo just gets plastered on whatever shows were actually just happening as is. Just say that... New York Comedy Festival. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to get to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's like, well, I mean, what is this, guys? Did you see the poster for it with just like 7,000 names? <laughs> yeah. I Not only that, I combed through the schedule and like picked specific things I wanted to put on the bureau and that took forever to do. But uh, yeah, there were so many things that were like, oh yeah, that's like a weekly show that just happens. Yeah, yeah. And they're doing a New York Comedy Festival edition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So funny. Yeah. Where they're um, like, but WME is going to have a party. You're like, all right, I guess that makes it a festival. <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of like, I wonder, I, I, I mean, that couldn't have been a thing because there were 7,000 comedians on that poster. It's part of the summer camp feel of a comedy festival is that there are like specialized activities for all the talent. Yeah. Uh, which could be anything from just like getting high off of like a cannabis sponsor to like going on this like weird hike uh, in, <laughs> in some like beautiful part of whatever city you're in um, to like ax throwing, whatever it is. Yeah. There are like these community bonding experiences that are always very special. Yeah. It's a, uh even when they're not sanctioned by the festival and it's right. you guys I did a I forget what festival it was I think I don't remember but it might have been Cromfest. Okay. Um but I believe Which is in we, Nebraska? 
Yeah, I think there was one in Denver also. Okay. And that's the one that I went to. Okay. And there was, we all, you know, there was like a, a festival party afterwards. Mm-hmm. And then after that, somebody knew of a, a speakeasy mm-hmm. that was like a, like a true genuine, like you paid $20 to get in. Right. And then it was, you technically couldn't pay for drinks because they weren't legally allowed to sell them. So you would uh-huh. just like tip. Um, uh, and then we left and the sun had risen, but like all of the right. comedians went to that and it was just this cool, I don't know. It's just these cool, it reminds me of college, but like, right. you know, you're in your thirties and you know how to not be like a total fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just for a couple of days. Cool. Yeah. I, and, uh, I feel like high plains in Denver is still like that. Um, which is great because they're you know they're kind of a big festival now. Um, I have yet to go to Sketchfest. I kind of like Edinburgh Fringe. I just want to go for the whole thing, but that mm-hmm. is very cost prohibitive. Yeah, that's a lot. Even just if I got into most shows for free, which I think I could do, it's still like all right. I can't. It's like what I got to get divorced so I can stay at somebody's place <laughs> for three weeks. Yeah, you still have to pay another rent. Yeah. <laughs> to go for the whole thing. Right. And I have done the thing once where I like crashed at somebody a different thing every night. And that is a nightmare. I hate yeah. that so much. And it's like, <laughs> well, this is like not fun anymore. Right. By the yeah. fourth day when you're like, well, I've slept three hours this week. Yeah. Um, but happy to be here. Happy. Yeah. Happy to be here. Um. I wanted to, in closing, ask you, uh, thanks again for being on the pod. It was such a lovely, lovely time having you here. Thanks again for having me. You're very welcome. Um, so going going forward, as someone who is like in their heart purely a stand-up, what do you see uh, in your future? I don't want to say like a five-year plan or like, but like what do you see coming ahead and what would you like to do? an interesting question um the five-year plan yeah i can't i've learned like i can't predict anything ever (laughs) um i you know i want to be touring i want to i want to have specials i want to have albums Mm -hmm. i guess i have to have them separate pieces (laughs) of work (laughs) um but i i think my goal is always like how do i present myself Okay. I've always like felt very like outsidery because I grew Mm. up like Jewish in Kentucky. And I felt like I, as a kid, I was always trying to explain myself to people and like Mm -hmm. who I am. And I think I'm still doing that with stand up. And like, that's why I'm attracted to stand up because you're given when you're headlining, right. You're given an hour to sort of say like, here's who I am and here's where I'm coming from. Mm -hmm. And hopefully by the end of it, we all get to feel like a little community. Right. So my goal and what I hope is to do that as much as possible in like the most fun ways possible and make some money while I'm doing it. Right. And however that manifests is like, however it manifests. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I also like, you know, I love writing. I love like the craft of like figuring out jokes. I love writing in other people's voices too. So like, I still want to do that stuff. Um, but 
but yeah, I just like, I love stand up and I love going to new towns and I love like meeting the people there. Um, and I love retreating into a hotel room and then coming home to my husband and dog. Like those are like, like what my life is now is like pretty great. I don't, I'd like to have a two bedroom um, (laughs) apartment that's like not moldy and peeling, but, um, I, yeah, that's, I, I love my life. I'd just like there to be a little bit more money. Right. Right. Are you open to, like we were saying earlier about other paths opening up for comedians? Are you open to those other sorts of things, whether it's like doing a podcast or hosting a game show or? Yeah, of course. No, I want to do all that stuff too. Uh Um, I think it's just a matter of like, I'm not just going to do a podcast just so I have a podcast. Right. Um, it's just about figuring out like what my intention is, which with each thing, and maybe that's a little bit too lofty and I, it probably also like makes me stand in my own way a little bit, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I, I want to do like all sorts of projects. I just like, I don't exactly know what those are yet, right? but I know yeah. I love stand up. Yeah. yeah. You don't need to know what that, it, those things are going to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the things will come and I mean, you know, uh, I, there's plenty of precedent for getting other big things that aren't necessarily stand up, but they're like still in comedy and you can still, I mean, to my knowledge, Sarah Squirm still does stand up while mm-hmm. even during the season. Yeah. Which is a lot of cast members don't do. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's like part of who she is. It's part of her, and I'm I'm glad Man. that yeah, New York's getting to revel and how great Sarah is. And I really hope that Sarah News her. takes over weekend update. Me too. I hope she takes over the whole show. She's I I was on her I wasn't on her same show, but I was the mm-hmm. same JFL year. Right. And I remember watching her set and just being like, Oh fuck, who is this? This is incredible. <laughs> I've never seen anything like this. Yeah. And like it's, it's like too weird to be like the kind of thing that that's like for me. And right. yet I still love this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that part of I, I slightly intentionally, I think Sarah has some way, somehow found a way to make the grotesque beautiful mm-hmm. and funny. Yeah. It's yeah. silly. It's just, <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's going to be it for this episode of the Comedy Bureau Field Report. Thank you again. Um, where can people find you online and what else would you like to promote? Uh, you can find me everywhere at Ariel underscore comedy. It's A-R-I-E-L underscore comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really, that's it. Um, I, I have my, you know, my links and where I'll be on tour and stuff and in, in the bio of everything. Right. And, uh, I guess really all I want to promote is like nominate Sarah Squirm for a Grammy. <laughs> yes yeah absolutely uh any piece of recorded material um the sarah vaccine i think she yeah. is a short that you could i don't know how that would figure into the grammys but nominated for something it was Let's on a streaming it. platform why not yeah it's uh i think it was that was like the last big thing she did before she got snl um yeah nominate sarah <laughs> get her to a point where they have to like mention her on SNL as Sarah Squirm. 
Not Sarah Strong. <laughs> yes. uh, I'm Jay Kroger. I created the Comedy Bureau. The Comedy Bureau, uh, you can find that at thecomedybureau.com, at the Comedy Bureau across socials. You can find me at Not the Supermarket on Instagram and uh, Twitter at, at Jay Kroger. Uh, so many great causes to support this time. Please support those. But if not, uh, if you have money in generosity left over, please support the Comedy Bureau. Do you have anything to say as we sign off? Uh, oh, hi, bye. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> uh, comedy is happening. Please support it as the great Brody Stevens say. Enjoy it! Comedy Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Grineo. Artwork by Andrew Delman and KT. And part of the Believe Podcast family. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube